Check. One. There I am. Good morning, everybody. Glad you guys are all, wow, I'm really loud now. Glad you guys are all here this morning. Um, I hope you have come ready to engage the presence of the Lord um, and just to allow the spirit to move inside of our lives this morning. We have a pretty awesome service. I'm excited for it. Um, just a couple quick announcements before we get started. First off, I wanted to remind you guys that two weeks from today, November 19th, Jim Downing is going to be speaking. He's uh, a living survivor of the Pearl Harbor attack. He's like 106, 109 years old, somewhere in there. He's over 100 years old. Um, I actually have a book of his in my, uh, in my office, and I've read through it once or twice. So it's going to be an amazing speech. It's, he's a really good speaker, so if you can make it, come, invite your friends. It's going to be an awesome Sunday for us to be together. Um, and we have one other announcement. Where's Paul? Is he here? Paul's right there. Paul has a quick announcement for us just about Thanksgiving and the Salvation Army. Um, so Paul's going to talk with us about that, and then we'll be ready to worship. Can you hear me? Now it's working. We have some flyers that we're starting to hang up and hand out. And what this is, really, it's a continuation of a program that this church has done for years. Uh, we used to, when we were in the old building, uh, we would ask, hey, who wants to cook a turkey? And so folks in the audience would raise their hand. And so you would go home and cook a turkey, and you'd bring that to church on Thanksgiving, and we would feed uh, those in our community. Really a very labor-intensive and uh, coordinating uh, event because you have to get all the food cooked and delivered to church all at the same time. Well, the Lord really opened the door for us uh, last year where the Salvation Army asked us, hey, would you like to provide holiday meals in Woodland Park uh, where we provide the food? And so for Thanksgiving, the United States Army at Fort Carson, they actually do all the food preparation and uh, I pick it up in the morning and we bring it up here. And so we need volunteers on Thanksgiving Day to uh, serve meals both here in our new uh, Life Center and also deliver. We have found out here in Woodland Park, uh, there's a lot be based on Teller County being a little bit more diverse than down, down the bottom of the hill. We actually do a lot of delivery on Thanksgiving Day to people who are shut in people who are working and can't get out. And so uh, this is going to be our second year working with the Salvation Army. And so we're looking for volunteers to do lots of things. One, right now we need people to pray about this event because really this is an outreach where we as a body try to serve those in our community, those that uh, don't have a meal, those that can't get out, or uh, those that uh, just don't have a friend, and they need to come and talk. And we've had all those people over the last couple of years. And so that's one thing. We need people to start praying for that right now. But then we also need some folks to start handing out some flyers and putting the word out. Uh, perhaps you know of someone who uh, doesn't have a family in the area, and they don't know where to go for uh, a, a holiday meal. Well, they can come here. And so uh, we need to get the word out. And then on Thanksgiving Day itself, uh, and I know it's on Thanksgiving Day, 
and you may have family plans and, and things conflict, uh, but it's really short, 11 to 1 is the actual eating time. So we need some volunteers on Thanksgiving Day to come to church around 10 or 10.30, help set up, and then uh, be ready to uh, serve those that come in the door. But then what we have done the last, we found out that we did the most last year was we, we made to-go meals, and then we went out and delivered to those. So we're looking for volunteers to continue this ministry of the church uh, this Thanksgiving. Also, we do it again on Christmas Day as well. So we do it for both holidays. Again, the food is uh, prepared for us. We bring it here and serve it. What a great opportunity to reach out to those in our community. So uh, I'll be, if you have any questions, I would love to talk to you, maybe give you some uh, answers to your questions. I'll be in the back of the church when we're done today if you want to hit me up. And you'll see there was a rotating announcement, and there's a uh, announcement in your bulletin. That'll be there for the next couple of Sundays as we try to get this program kicked off here in our new uh, in our new center. So any immediate questions right this second? I don't want to hold up church then. Thank you. Cool. I was just told one other announcement that we have. We need to get the uh, Navajo um, envelopes in. If you have questions about that, go see Cindy. Uh, she's a contact with that. Uh, that's the way we have for announcements. So if you'll stand up, shake hands with somebody around you or somebody across the room or somebody you don't know, uh, we'll get this thing started. There we go. Hey, good morning. <laughs> this song is new. It's called My Lighthouse. You might have heard it on Christian radio. But if not, uh, just clap along and yeah, let's have fun. One, two, one, two, three.
with our children, with our spouses. Jesus, for an hour today, I ask that we would release everything. Throw off everything that might hinder us from worshiping you, Jesus, with everything that we have. Jesus, you are our king, and we take this time to treat you that way. Amen. Here we go. Strength rises, we wait upon the Lord. Wait upon the Lord. We will wait upon the Lord. Strength rises, we wait upon the Lord. Wait upon the Lord. We will wait upon the Lord. Our God, we reign forever. 
Those are truths that I confess I forget all of the time. <laughs> I forget it when I'm in need, when I'm weak. We talk in church a lot about fixing our eyes on Christ. And that is really easy to do when we're sitting here on Sunday mornings. Because that's what this is all about. But church, when we leave here, when I leave here, and for me in my life, when I go to Woodland Park High School, Monday through Friday, um, it is really, really hard to fix my eyes on Christ. Church, I want to encourage you to fix your eyes on him during the storms, 
and when you're in times of peace. Fix your eyes on him in the light and in the dark. In both seasons. Whether it's Christmas Day or whether you just got laid off your job. Whether you're here in church or you're at work on Thursday at 2 o'clock. He's our creator. He's our king. He's singing over us every minute. He is a mighty fortress, a shelter. No matter where you are, what you're doing, in any moment you can run to him and find peace, church. Our God is a consuming fire burning holy flame with glory and freedom our god is the only righteous judge ruling over us with kindness and wisdom and we will keep our eyes on you Keep our eyes on you. A mighty fortress is our God. A sacred refuge is your name. Your kingdom is unshakable. With you forever we will reign. Our God is jealous for his own. None could comprehend his love and his mercy. Our God is exalted on his throne. High above.
doubts about what we're doing or why but it's hard going and we need your prayers all we care about is living well before God pray that we may be together soon may God who puts all things together the God who makes all things whole the God who made a lasting mark through the sacrifice of Jesus the sacrifice of blood sealed the eternal covenant for you and for me. May the God who led Jesus, our great shepherd, up and alive from the dead, may that same God now put you together. May he provide you with everything you need to please him and make us into what gives him most pleasure by means of the sacrifice of Jesus, the Messiah. All the glory to Jesus forever and always. Yes. Yes. Jesus, you created the stars and the planets and the trees. You made this earth and this universe to work perfectly to sustain us. Jesus, you've called us the pinnacle of your creation. But Jesus, we are broken and we need you. Thank you that every day that we surrender to you, you continue to heal us and make us new.
ushers to come forward and as we as we prepare to head into a time of offering um i i don't know i always feel it's it's good to remind us that the the act of offering is it, it's actually a form of worship it's a form of basically saying god here's the best 10 percent ish of everything that i have everything that i want to give you um the word tithe literally means like 10 percent and the, uh, the nation of Israel was originally called to give the first fruits um, of, of their labor, the first fruits of everything over to God as an act of worship. And so in, in continuing that, I, I think it's good to kind of adopt that mindset. So if you would pray with me, I'm going to pray over the offering. Jesus, we worship you and we honor you today. And I thank you so much just for this opportunity to be in your presence together. Lord, I pray over this offering that we're about to take. I pray that we would be able to see it as an act of worship, that we will give out of a thankful and a cheerful heart. Lord, I pray that you will take what we offer you today and that you will use it to accomplish what you will with it, not what we will with it. I thank you for the opportunity to worship you. I thank you for the opportunity to just continue to serve you. We love you so much, Jesus, and we pray this all in your name. Amen. Keep our eyes on you, and we will keep our eyes on you, and we will keep our eyes on you, and we will keep our eyes on you.
Awesome. Thank you, worship team. Appreciate it. You know, as we kind of come out of our time of worship and we prepare to dig into the word a little bit, um, I'm reminded of a story that I heard uh, a few years back. Um, we were, I believe it was when we were down in Texas. We went to this thing called a poverty simulator. And basically, we, we paid these people to make us live like poor people. Um, it, was, it was a very humbling experience, and if you've never slept on the ground outside with nothing but a blanket, it's, it'll kick your butt, <laughs> I'll be honest, um, but we, we actually, like, we were watching a video, um, and this guy was kind of explaining to us, you know, what does it mean to actually live in poverty, and what does that look like, and one of the things that he said that really caught my attention was, like, you know, the, the church in America, like, it's, you know, it's there, it's good, but we, we seem to have this very commercialized view of the church in America, um, and he's like, you know, we, we always have our lights and our video and all that stuff. And all that's awesome. Like, it's all really well and good and stuff. But I think what we need to realize, what we need to understand, especially as we dig into the Word of God, that it is living and active. And it's not living and active because we, you know, we put up a flashy background behind it or we have lights going on behind it or anything like that. But the Word of God is so living and active that in places where people cram 30 other people into a room and they have like a single light bulb and they're like struggling to read the words of the scripture, that's where the Spirit's growing. And I think it's an absolutely amazing thing when we think that when we dig into this word, it's the exact same word here as it is in China, as it is in Africa, as it is in South America, and it is growing in all of those places. And it can do the exact same thing for us here today. So I, I hope and pray that as we dig into the word today, that we, we can put off all the distractions going on around us, whatever that may be. Um, and w we can just focus in on what the Spirit has to say to us today. With that being said, we're going to turn to Hebrews chapter 13, if you have your Bibles. Um, I think we'll have it up on the screen as well. I thought I got that up there. So I have the honor of finishing out the book um, of Hebrews today, or the letter to the Hebrew people uh, as chapter 13 is kind of the last chapter. For those of you guys who don't know, Pastor Brian has taken our Bible quizzing team to Kansas City um, this last weekend. It's a super big Bible quizzing meet, and it's awesome. So when they come back, be expecting to hear awesome things for that because our Bible team rocks. Like, that's just what they do. Um, so it'll be awesome to hear about that, but I get to bring you guys the word from the last chapter of Hebrews today. And last week, if you'll remember... Uh, Brian left us with this idea of, like, grace-based parameters. And that's, that's the mindset that we're going to be operating out of today, is this idea of grace-based parameters. And just to kind of recap the rest of the book of Hebrews leading us up to this point, um, you know, we, we've had this idea of the earthly tabernacle and the heavenly tabernacle, where Jesus had to com present himself completely and perfect to that tabernacle. Um, we have this idea of Jesus being the priest of a different order, and all of these different things the author was bringing us to kind of culminated in chapter 11 and 12. Chapter 11, he talked about faith, this idea of pistis faith, where people from inside of the old system, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all these other guys were counted as righteous because of their faith, and specifically their faith 
in Christ who hadn't even shown up yet, which is amazing. Um, and ultimately, we, we get to this last chapter, chapter 12, in verses run in 1 and 2, it talks about running the race, and running the race with perseverance as Christ did, who's the author and perfecter of our faith. Um, and again, out of this idea, we kind of got the picture of the cross, and Brian painted us this picture for a couple of weeks where Jesus' arms, his grace is outstretching to both sides, and he's saying, like, everybody before the cross, I got you guys covered, and everybody after the cross, I've got you guys covered. Everybody's living under grace. And now the question is, well, how do we live under grace? Because again, last week we talked about this idea of grace-based parameters. Like, yes, you live under grace. Yes, you are saved by grace. And so what we're talking about today is like, these are not things that are going to save you. You've been saved by grace through faith so that nobody can boast about what good things that you do. But instead, we're talking about how, how do we live under this system of grace? Because if it really is Christ has paid the price for everything that we've done, everything that we're going to do, how, how do we live under that? And if you were like me last week, I'm like, awesome. We live under grace. We have these grace-based parameters. But what does that mean? Like, what does that look like for us? Um, and luckily for us, the author of Hebrews didn't end at chapter 12, but he extended, or he kept writing in the letter a little bit. So we're going to read through the whole thing. Um, and then we're going to kind of break it down into pieces. There's six or seven different parameters in here that I want to discuss through, but I want us to kind of get the bigger picture of the whole chapter. So here's what chapter 13 says. It says, keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by so doing, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Continue together with them in prison and those who have mistreated you as if you yourselves were suffering. Marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Continue, keep your lives free from the love of money, and be content with what you have, because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Remember your leaders who spoke out the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do not be carried away by all kind of strange teachings. It is good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace, not by eating ceremonial foods, which is of no benefit to those who do so. We have an altar from which those who minister at the tabernacle have no right to eat. The high priest carries the blood of animals into the most holy place as a sin offering, but the bodies are burned outside the camp. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore. For here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. And do not forget to do good and to share with others for such sacrifices, God, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority, because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. Pray for us. We are sure that we have a clear conscience and desire to live honorably in every way. I particularly urge you to pray so that I may be restored to you soon. Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord, Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will, and may he work in us what is pleasing to him. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Brothers and sisters, I urge you to bear with my word of exhortation, for in fact I have written to you quite briefly. I want you to know that our brother Timothy has been released. If he arrives soon, I will come with him to see you. Greet all your leaders and all the Lord's people. Those from Italy send you their greetings. Grace be with you all. All right. 
So we're, we're going to, like I said, we're going to dive into this a little bit. We're going to kind of break it apart. Um, just a touch note of irony that I actually just noticed. It's very interesting that in verse 22 he says, um, I urge you to bear with my word of exhortation, for in fact I've written to you quite briefly. And we're like, bro, we've been on this thing for like 13 weeks already. <laughs> but, you know, that's whatever. All right, so... So let's dive into this. Um, what, what are these grace-based parameters that he's talking about? How is he saying that we should live with each other? Well, the first parameter comes in verses 1 through 3. In verses 1 through 3, he says, Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by so doing, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison, and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. And this first parameter here, I think we can kind of describe as pretty simply express brotherly love towards each other. Um, the Greek word here for it is Philadelphia. And if you're a Broncos fan, you're like, I'm not feeling Philadelphia today. <laughs> and obviously that's a little ironic, but according to most translators, the, the Greek word Philadelphia, um, it literally means like the love of deep friendship and a partnership. Um, and... What the author is saying here is that this should, this should abound, this should continue. He's kind of assuming that it's already happening. He's saying keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Um, and I, I think it's a very important thing that he starts with this. as one of our kind of first grace-based parameters. Uh, you know, as, as an example um, of this, of entertaining strangers, you know, we... Sorry, I'm going back up a little bit. Showing deep love friendship, partnership. He gives us two examples of this. Entertaining strangers is kind of the first one. Um, you know, Jesus said to his disciples that you will recognize each other by the love you have for each other. You will recognize who my disciples are by the love that they have for the other disciples, by the love that they have for other Christians. And, you know, showing hospitality in the ancient world, there was kind of this really cool practice of assisting other believers because the church, especially as it was first getting started, um, they didn't really have buildings to meet in. They kind of met in each other's houses, and as they were traveling, you know, they, they needed places to stay. And one of the things that the author here is asking his fellow brothers in Christ to do is saying, you know, in, invite those brethren in. Invite those people who are with Christ into your house. Take care of them. Show hospitality to them. And one thing I think is very interesting with this is he doesn't talk about inviting your friends. And I think a lot of us in the church today, especially in the American church, we, we love trying to fulfill this command saying like, yeah, I'm showing hospitality. I'm inviting my, you know, my best friend of 13 years over and we're having lunch today. And it's like, that's awesome. Like, go have lunch with your best friend. But that doesn't fulfill this command. Fulfilling this command is finding strangers. And not necessarily going out in the street and being like, that's the dude, that axe murderer over there with a chainsaw. I'm going to invite him into my house. Don't do that. That's bad. But what he's saying here is, if there are strangers in the church, like if there's somebody in this building maybe even specifically, that you don't know, that you haven't met yet, what the author is asking us here to do is go greet them. Show hospitality to them. Find strangers in Christ. Continue to show brotherly love to each other because it is through Christ that we're all connected. And if it's through Christ that we're all connected, yeah, we're strangers as in we may not know each other, but... Again, we're, we're connected. Show hospitality to those people. And he says, some have entertained angels unaware by doing this. Um, 
I don't know if you guys have ever read through the story of Samson's birth before. It comes from Judges chapter 13. But basically what happens is Samson's mother is visited by an angel. And she doesn't know it's an angel. Um, the passage records it as being an angel, but she has no idea. And the angel gives her all these commands on what to do with Samson. And she's like, okay, cool. So she goes and she tells her husband. And he's like, awesome, we're going to go find that guy. And we're going to double check because we got to double check that. And so Samson's father goes and he prays. And he says, Lord, send this guy back to us so we can ask him again, and so the angel shows back up to him again. Again, they don't know it's an angel. So it shows back up to him again, and they talk, and they converse with him, and they're like, okay, we're going to do what you said, um, as far as Samson is concerned, and then at the very end of everything, they, they want to offer him a meal, and the angel says, I don't want a meal, but if you want to do something, go ahead and offer a burnt offering to the Lord. And they're like, okay, we can do that. So they go, they offer a burnt offering to the Lord, and in the midst of all of that, like, as the burnt offering is rising up into the air, the angel actually, like, goes up with the flames and disappears, and the mother and father of Samson fall flat on their face, and they're like, we've seen the Lord, we're not worthy, we're going to die, this is bad, but they were completely and totally unaware that they were entertaining this angel in front of them, and I think it's, it's important for us to kind of treat interactions that we have with other people like this, because this is kind of our reality, we might be entertaining angels, it's hard for us to say, but show hospitality to your brothers and sisters, even if they're strangers. Discern those who are in Christ and continue to help build them up. Also remember those who are imprisoned, and this could be one of the first possible references to those who are being imprisoned for the sake of the gospel. But again, remember your brothers, remember your sisters, take care of them, do everything that you can to care for them. And that, that's, that's the first parameter that, that we've been given. The second one, verse 4 he says, marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Um, I'm going to be honest with you guys. As I was reading through this passage, I got, I got stuck here for a couple hours. Um, I was praying through this verse, and I'm like, how much do I need to go into? How much do I not need to go into? So as, as this being our second kind of parameter, I'm just going to say this about marriage as this goes. Marriage is to be honored among all. If somebody is married, honor that. If you are in this kind of marriage relationship, here's the short version. Do what you're supposed to do. Do what you're supposed to do. Husbands love your wives. Wives love your husbands. Be faithful to each other. Do what you're supposed to do. If you don't know what you're supposed to do, ask. Ask somebody. Because I promise you there's a ton of wisdom out there. There's a ton of literature out there. And if you don't know, ask. It's, it's that simple. Um, I'm, I'm not going to say, again, too much more on that because we could do an entire sermon based just on that verse and... You guys don't want to hear me ramble on about marriage for that long. Um, but we're, we're going to keep it at that. Do what you're supposed to do in your marriage. That's what he's saying. Our third parameter comes from verses 5 through 6. Here's what he says. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Now this parameter is kind of asking ourselves, what are you putting your trust in? Are you, are you truly content with what you have, with where you're at, or are you always needing more, always needing more, needing more? Um, I wish I had written down who, who said this quote, but there was a quote as I was researching this that I found that said, you know, one guy went up to a millionaire and asked him, how much money does somebody need to be satisfied? And he said a million more than he already has. And I, I think that's kind of a mindset that we can get trapped in sometimes. It's like, you know, I, I have this thing, and this thing is awesome, but in order to be content, I need the next thing. 
and then the next thing, and then the next thing, and the next thing, and it just never ends. And that's not putting our trust in what we have. That's not putting our trust in the one who is supposed to provide for us. But what are we putting our trust in? There's really kind of two things that he's, that the author here is drawing our attention to. Again, the material things, money, or he also says mere mortals here. Are you putting your trust in mere mortals? Are you putting your trust in somebody else to make you okay? Or are you putting your trust in God who said, never will I leave you and never will I forsake you? Because I really do think real contentment comes from trusting God for both our provision and for our security. There's, there's an old pastor from the 1700s. His name's Charles Spurgeon. Um, I've been reading through some of his sermons recently, and I, I found this quote, which I think is really cool about this verse. He says, I cannot find room in this text for doubt and fear. I defy the devil himself to mention circumstances under which I ought to be miserable if this text is true. And that's amazing. Because the author here is saying that God has said, never will I leave you and never will I forsake you. And so we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper and I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? And our response to that is, if this text is true, I defy the devil himself, the accuser of the entire world. I defy him. Show me what you got if this text is true. Because if this text is true, and I do believe that it is true, there are very, very, very minimal circumstances under which we ought to be miserable in. Because the Lord will never leave us, and he will never forsake us. And it can be hard for us to see that sometimes. The Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? What can they do? They got nothing on us. And I think that's awesome. And that's, that's kind of our, our third parameter to live inside this parameter of grace. The fourth one, um, this is on leaders and authority, and this is actually verse 7, and then you kind of skip ahead to verse 17 um, is where it talks about leadership. So here's what these two verses say. Verse 7, remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. And then verse 17, have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. And this is, I don't know, this is one of those parameters I personally have never really had a struggle with, um, but I know there are people out there who don't like leadership very much. Just like, okay, you know, I get that. Fight the power, all that good stuff. But the author here is calling us to Remember those who rule over you and to be submissive to them. Not just necessarily do what they say and like, okay, fine, I'm going to do what he says. But be submissive to them. Listen to what they have to say. But there's, there's kind of a couple things for us to remember this, with this. First off, for, from our leaders, we're to consider their conduct. Do they have godly conduct? Are they imitating Christ? Are they painting a picture of Christ? And I think a lot of times one of the dangers of being in leadership and especially having a lot of power in leadership is we have a tendency to kind of get sucked into this idea of like, I'm going to paint myself in this really awesome picture here and kind of forget where I came from. And this is, this is a danger of being a leader in ministry especially. Um, but for all of us, whoever we're following, you know, we, we need to consider the conduct of our leaders. Do they have godly conduct? And is their life a good thing for us to imitate? Again, the author says here, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Are your leaders modeling good faith for you? Because if they're not, you either need to say, hey, leaders, probably step your game up or go find new leaders. Imitate 
their faith. And then verse 8 right after that, which I think is really cool, it says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Which is very interesting, like, that verse is kind of just thrown in there. He's like, oh, by the way, with all this leadership, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. But when you tie those two things together, are your leaders imitating Christ? Are they painting a good picture of him? We're reminded in the middle of all of this that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, 2,000 years ago, today, and however many years into the future. But he's the exact same. He's somebody that we can imitate. He's somebody that we can look towards to be a good leader. And so consider your leader's conduct. The second thing to remember with this, though, is that your leaders must give an account. People who are placed in leadership positions do so with kind of more restrictions on them, more responsibility on them, because they're called to give an account. Everybody who's in some kind of leadership position will be asked at some point, what did you do with this, and what did you do with that? And we're all leaders over some aspect of our lives, and some of us have more leadership responsibility than others, but all leaders must give an account. And so they have more responsibility for that. And that's, that's something for us to remember as we, as we think about our leaders. And then the very end of this, he says, submit to your leader's authority because they keep watch over you. They must give an account. But he kind of adds this in at the very end. He says, do this so that their work will be a joy and not a burden. For that would be of no benefit to you. And I think that's very interesting because a lot of times, you know, when we're under somebody in a leadership position, we're like, you know, I'm just going to throw everything on the leader. Here you go, leader, take it. Take it, you do with it what you will. I don't want to do with that. I don't want to deal with that. Like, I know you told me to submit. I know you told me to do all this stuff, but I'm going to let you take it because you're a lot better at that than I am. And the author here is saying, you know, submit to your leader's authority. If they ask you to do something, go do something. Do this so that their work will be a joy and not a burden. Because I'm going to tell you this, if your leaders are stressed out, if they're pushed to the max, whether it's at work, whether it's at church, whether it's, I don't care, wherever else you go, if you have somebody who is trying to lead you and you're making their work a burden and not a joy, it's going to not only burn them out, but it's going to burn you out too. And that's what the author says here. He says, do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, because that would be of no benefit to you. So at the very least, consider it not a burden to yourself, but also consider it not a burden to your leaders as well. Our next parameter, fifth one. Um, this is kind of the, the big one. This is the, the culmination of everything that the author has been talking about. We're going to read through verses 9 through 14 again. Here's what the author has to say. He says, do not be carried away by all kind of strange teachings. And there are a lot of strange teachings out there. It is good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace, not by eating ceremonial foods, which is of no benefit to those who do so. We have an altar from which those who minister at the tabernacle have no right to eat. The high priest carries the blood of animals into the most holy places as a sin offering, but the bodies are burned outside the camp. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make people holy through his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore. For we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. And here we, we get this, this picture painted again that I, I absolutely have loved through the whole book of Hebrews, where we're con comparing contrasting the old and the new. Here's how the old system, are you being strengthened by eating ceremonial foods? Are you doing all the rituals the right way? Are you doing, you know, this, 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 and this? Or are you living under grace? Are you being strengthened by grace? Are you being cleansed by the work of the cross? Are you no longer under the old Levitical system? And again, we, we kind of see this idea, are the, you know, the priests are carrying the blood into the temple, but Jesus was dragged, his body was 
taken outside of the city. Like, the cross that Jesus was crucified on was completely outside of the city on the hill of the skull. It's called Golgotha. And this raises a few questions for us. Because the author here is saying, you know, the high priest is carrying the blood of the animals into the most holy place, and we've, we've looked at that. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. The author says, let us then go to him outside the camp bearing the disgrace he bore. And this raises a very interesting question. Are you going to continue in your old way? If the Spirit is calling you to go in a new direction, if the Spirit is calling you to be cleansed from some kind of sin, are you going to continue in your old way? Are you going to say, yeah, Spirit, that's awesome. I'm going to keep going this way. Or are you going to go a new way? We have a sign somewhere out in there, and it's got two arrows, and one of them's like old way and one of them's new way. And I think that's a really cool picture of this. But if you're going to go the new way, I think there's something important here that we have to understand. Verse 13, let us then go to him outside, this, outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore. Listen to this. If Jesus was rejected and he was branded as illegitimate, how can we expect better? If Jesus was completely and totally rejected by the system that he was inside of, by the world that he came down to save, if he was rejected and he was branded as illegitimate and as a traitor and as awful, and we choose to follow him and we choose to go outside the camp, why should we expect better? I'm not saying better isn't out there. But I'm saying when you're bearing the disgrace that Jesus Christ bore, when you decide to turn from your old way and you decide to go a new way, guess what? There's probably going to be some kind of disgrace or shame or some kind of negative emotions that are in conjunction with that. Because guess what? That's what Jesus bore, and he bore that not just from his system, but he's kind of bearing it now. Like, the name of Jesus is thrown around like a rag doll these days. And it's, it hurts my heart to hear that. But if we're going to be connected to him, if we're going to call ourselves Christians, and I don't know if you guys know this or not, but the word Christian literally means little Christ. Like, if you're following Christ and you call yourself a Christian, you are actually referring to yourself as a little Christ, as somebody who, you, you know, this is who I'm modeling myself after. If that's who you're going to be, be prepared for possible rejection. Be prepared to bear disgrace, possibly. Because sometimes that's what it takes in order to live the kind of life that Jesus wants you to live. Are you going to continue in your old way or are you going to go a new way? Because you can continue in your old way. You, ha you have the freedom to do that, and I'm not going to tell you you can't. But I'm going to tell you that there is a better way, that there is a new way that you can go if this is something that you need to do. And if you choose to go that new way, you might have to get through some disgrace. You might have to get through, you know, some kind of hardship or adversity, but there's something better on the other end. And that thing that is better on the other end, he talks about in verse 14, he says, for we do not have an enduring city, but we're looking for the city that is to come. We're fighting for something. We're struggling and persevering for something that's going to endure. And what I, what I think is really cool is that when, when you think about this idea, for those who bear the same disgrace, the same shame that Jesus had, this life is the worst that things will get. If you bear his disgrace, this life is the worst that things will get. For those who reject him, for those who say, now I'm going to keep going in the old way, this life is the best that it's going to get. And I think that's a very interesting contrast. Because if you say, you know, Jesus, I'm going to keep doing this thing because this thing is 
kind of awesome, and I know you might have something better for me here, but I know that this works. Well, guess what? This, that's the best that it might get for you. But if you, if you can choose to cling to Christ, if you can choose to say, you know, I'm willing to get through the disgrace, I'm willing to get through the shame, then this life is the worst that it will get for you. And I'm going to be honest, if this life is the worst that it's going to get for me, heaven's going to rock. I'm so excited. Our last parameter that we're going to talk about today, verses 15 and 16, um, the author talks about our sacrifice. He's, he's gone through all of these different things at this point. Um, and in verse 15, through Jesus, therefore, because Jesus has done all these things, because we're choosing to follow him, because we're, you know, we're going to be these little Christs, therefore, let us continually offer God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. And do not forget to do good and share with others, for, such sac- for with such sacrifices, God is pleased. This, these couple of verses here kind of seem to me to be an attempt at, or from the author to speak to his readers in terms that they will understand. Because again, if this letter is to the Hebrew people and we're putting ourselves way, way back in the mindset of the ancient Hebrew people, we've lived with sacrifices our whole lives. We're like, sacrifices, I get that. That's a concept that I understand. Um, but for us in 2017 in Woodland Park, Colorado, you know, I don't know that any of us have ever actually sacrificed. And it, like literally sat, like taking a goat and just like, done. Um, don't know that we've ever actually sacrificed anything. But I think for us, this is, this is a good reminder for us to remain humble. Offer a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of your lips. Or to put it in a different way, your praise is to be more than just thoughts. If your praise, if your acknowledgement of God is completely and totally up here, then there's a next step for you to take, and that is to actually confess with your mouth that Christ is Lord. That is to actually praise him through song or through reading the scriptures or through whatever it is, but do it out loud because there's actually something to be said for, you know, saying things out loud. It helps. It changes the way that you think. It kind of changes your reality. And if your mental state is all that you have, then God is calling you to offer him a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. And he also says, at the very end of this, he says, don't forget to do good and to share with others. For with such sacrifices, God is pleased. Or to put it in the words of James, show me your faith by your deeds. If you have faith, if you truly have faith, put your money where your mouth is. Show it to me. Because talk is cheap. Talk's easy. It's easy to say things. It's easy to be like, yeah, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go run a marathon tomorrow. I'm not running a marathon But share good, do with others. Share your faith by your deeds. All of these things are kind of grace-based parameters that the author is giving us to think of, that the author is saying, you know, here are a lot of things you can work on. Again, these are not necessarily ideas. These aren't ideas that are going to save you. If you do all of these things correctly, awesome, your life's probably really good. But guess what? That's not what saves you. Because ultimately you, you are saved by faith, through grace. And the author here is saying, if you want to continue to live a life, if you want to live in fellowship with God, these are the things that you can start doing now. This is how you live under those grace-based parameters. You know, one other thing as we kind of think about these parameters that's good for us to take part in um, is actually the, the act of communion or the act of participating in the Lord's Supper. And 
I think as we, as we look at this idea of grace-based parameters, I think it's important to us to take part in this, especially as remembering what Christ did on the cross. Because again, like, none of this happens without Christ. The book of Hebrews isn't written without Christ. This church, this building doesn't exist without Christ. I'm not standing here before you with a microphone if it's not for Christ. And I think it's important for us as we partake in communion, which we're going to do here in just a second, that you take this time to remember the work that Christ did on the cross. And you remember the work that he's doing inside of you right now. And you ask him to continue that work, knowing that he will be faithful to do that. And so I'm going to invite the ushers forward with some communion. I'm going to invite our worship team back up. We're going to pray. We're going to have a song as communion's being passed. So I'm going to ask that you hold on to it um, so we can all take it together. And then we'll do that. Um, so as these guys are coming up, would you pray with me quickly? Jesus, I thank you. I thank you for the words from the author of Hebrews. I thank you for the wisdom that it contains. And though it might be hard for us to unpack sometimes, I know that it's good and I know that it's living and active and that your word's not going to fall dead today. I thank you for this idea of grace-based parameters that we can live inside of. I thank you for saving us through your grace. And I thank you for giving us the option of a better life. Lord, continue to walk with us and continue to bless us as we live inside of these. And as we prepare ourselves to take communion, Lord, I pray that you will speak to each of our hearts now. Holy Spirit, I trust that you're doing your work already. Speak to each one of us through this act. Help us to remember what we need to remember and help us to commit to what we need to commit to. Jesus, thank you so much for this time in your presence. We love you, Lord. Pray this in your name. Amen.
So with your, with your communion elements, I'm going to walk us through the way that Luke has this written. This is out of Luke chapter 22. And Luke says this, When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table, and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. And after taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among you. For I, will, I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread. 
gave thanks and broke it. And he said to them, this is my body given for you. Do this, eat this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, the third cup, the cup of redemption. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Take this, drink this in remembrance of me. Lord, I thank you again just for the opportunity to participate in communion, for the opportunity to just remember the work that you did and for looking forward to the works that you're going to continue to do. I pray that we will allow your grace to just infect our lives that we will allow it to infect the lives of everyone else around us. Thank you, Jesus. Again, we love you. For all this in your name, amen. I will be yours. I will be yours for all my So for those who are curious, the, the last bit of the book of Hebrews that we didn't go through, uh, verses 18 through 19 and 22 through 25, um, I'm calling these the human section of the book of Hebrews because these, these passages of scripture remind us that this is an actual dude that was writing to actual people. Um, and the, these are his words. These are the words that he was trying to convey to them. So if you're ever reading back through this and you're like, man, I just, I can't feel a connection to this. I, I hope that you read through these last couple of verses and say, that's where the connection is. This is a guy that I can relate to. Hopefully this is, you know, he's a guy, he's penning this. This is his letter that we have preserved for over 2000 years. You guys are already standing. So our, our blessing today actually comes from the last section of Hebrews and Here's what the author has to say. He says, Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, 
May that God equip you with everything good for doing his will, and may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I hope you guys have an amazing week, and we'll see you all next Sunday.